What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Hollywood Already Did It presents a history of sitcoms through WandaVision, episode four. As always, I am your host, Blake Schultz. With me today is Jamie Jarek. Hello, friends. And Terrence Tatum. Hello, everyone. And this week, we uh, took a break in WandaVision, it seems. The title of the episode suggests, as everyone does, that as we've been going through these great television historic ones, we'll be back to our original broadcast soon. Please stand by. I'm going to be honest with you. I liked the episode a lot more when I saw the title was Please Stand By. And I was like, oh, great. We're doing a real break. We'll be back soon. Because there are no sitcoms this week. (laughs) I mean, what are we going to talk about? Don't worry, listeners. We planned it. I bet you thought we were just going to theorize about what's coming. How well we're not. You silly folks. And there go 30% of the listeners. (laughs) But you 20 that stick around, you're the real ones. Uh, So what did you guys think of this week's episode? Oh, I loved it. Um, But uh, I'm such a big Darcy Lewis fan. So so even though the whole episode was just Marvel trolling us and um, and like, this is just us, uh, trying to figure out WandaVision, getting getting Darcy Lewis back after seven years was a dream come true. I've watched it three times. I'm obsessed with it. Yeah, uh, this episode was quite good. I, I do enjoy the sitcoms, but it was kind of cool to pull pull back. I also think this is one of the best openings for a show that I've seen in a very long time. Um, we already had seen sort of what the blip return look like in a comedy style from like spider-man but to see this version where it's super dramatic and intense you're like oh oh yeah this could be just gut-wrenchingly terrible to just hop back in in the middle of whatever the heck was happening before that was fascinating to me and from that point on i was like i whatever whatever the rest of this episode does good or bad i'm in um but i actually like the rest of the episode too so i now need a short explaining exactly what dr strange was doing getting all these some of these folks seem to be fine. Looks like he left a lot of people on the table. We had the band kids and Spider-Man getting smacked in the face with basketballs. We've got hospital people just showing up. Feels like we didn't do the full job. <laughs> I asked Twitter, um, like, what about people who were in airplanes and they just followed their death? But apparently Kevin Feige did address this and said that like Hulk was aware he did make sure everyone was returned safely, but it's still traumatic. <laughs> Like that, that shit's, that'll mess you up. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, it's, it's, they've now kind of done the Austin Powers logic where they're sort of like, but Basil, how could I be unthawed in the nineties and go back in time to the sixties? Presumably I could visit my unfrozen self. However, but just don't worry about it, Austin. And then they're like, <laughs> they look, wink at the camera. I feel like, I feel like Kevin Faye had a lot of people asking, well, what about this? And eventually he just was like, it's fine. It's, don't worry about it. Please yeah. stop asking me and enjoy the movies. The Hulk smart, but he's literally smart Hulk. Yeah. This episode has grown on me over time. I would be lying if I said right off the bat, the opening incredible. Love the world building. We have somebody come back from the snap. We see the urgency of what that looks like. Seeing any overcrowded hospital this year is a very, very stressful thing to watch we see a immediately very tragic situation of what happened to my mom. This is what happened. You've fallen behind. You're five years behind. There's a snap. There was a blip. You're back. A lot of bad stuff. We immediately figure out what sword is up to. We meet Jimmy Woo. We get the card trick. We see our two favorites from these movies with Darcy, with Jimmy Woo, a lot of fun world building, but I will be very honest. I missed the sitcoms. I was pri- I is ready for the 80s. And I felt like this was kind of a longer walk to a lot of things that we had inferred throughout the show. And it's nice to know, but I sort of liked the m- more mystery. And I feel like the stuff they answered was the stuff that I, I was aware of. Already aware of. I, we kind I think of- the only thing that we were really wrong about was that that helicopter wasn't a real helicopter. It was a drone. I feel like everyone right. assumed it was how Monica got in. But other than that, it was pretty much all what we expected. Yeah. yeah. Uh, some of these horror beats, though. Vision without that stone in his head. Oh, it was crazy. Uh, her just any time travel being affected and changing. All of that stuff was great. We now have a much clearer sense of this world. I trust that next week will be 
<clears throat> back to sitcoms, but it also bums me out that the Modern Family Office episode won't just be a sword 20-minute comedy of them talking to the camera. It could be. By the time we get to that decade, it might more be of a hybrid episode where it's half and half. Um, they had a poster released today with Dar like in, in the Darcy um, TV, made it look like she might go in eventually. So, you, so who knows? I yeah. think we're about to start getting, because the full length of the show is going to be about six hours. And so far, every episode's been about 20 or 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. So at that rate, I think the episodes are going to start getting a little longer and we'll start getting what's going on with Darcy and Jimmy with a sitcom next to it instead of just right. a whole sitcom with a little bit of a glitch at the end. But it's it's weird. That I, I do hope that they still start with the sitcom, only if no, no other reason than I want a different intro for every decade. And I feel like Damn. the only way you can do that is if you play that at the beginning of the episode. Yeah. Also, I want us to have things to talk about on this show. Correct. <laughs> well, Jamie, I'm glad you said that. That's a great segue into what we're going to talk about on this show. Uh, this is a great opportunity to talk about aspects of television and filmmaking that, while important, aren't specific <clears throat> to any decade. So in this episode, the history of what we're going to go over covers some of the things that we see in this show. We have an incredible cold open. So we're going to talk a little bit about cold opens, what they are in the television world, why they're important to a show and what they kind of bring to it and what this one brought to this episode, which is obviously bliss for us, not for the <laughs> characters involved. It's trauma for the characters involved. <laughs> this episode also has a lot of what's going on with the audience. The audience is quite literally in this episode through the eyes of Darcy and Jimmy. So it is important, I think, that we talk about a side of the industry that is not talked about a lot, which is the understanding of your audience, the research that goes into television pilots there's always fun stories of like, guess what was tested and everyone hated it. And then it got nine seasons. So there's, there's rights and there's wrongs. And then of course, some of the darker things that happen, we got a lot of exposition. So I think it's good. We touch on expository episodes and when they help and hurt an episode. With that being said, let's kick off with cold opens. Uh, Jamie, Describe a cold open to somebody who might not know what it means. Is it some sort of sandwich? <laughs> and that sounds really good. Um, so a cold open, um, a I would say argue that maybe most shows have, any show with an intro, you typically have them, but they're more common in sitcoms. And I would say that if, if you're confused about a, what a cold open is, the best example I, I think is The Office. The Office uh, has the best cold opens because typically in, in there it's unrelated to the episode um it's usually a funny little bit that happens and then boom the opening the opening theme starts and uh, so it's always comes before it always comes before the theme and there are some dramas that do it and there's actually i i really want to talk about a couple dramas that have done it um eventually but uh it's it's a total television staple and and especially in sitcoms and i think it's really funny because twitter has been joking about this one of the most iconic office cold opens features randall park who plays jimmy woo it's one of the dwight pranks uh randall park comes in and pretends to be jim and they make and they convince dwight that jim has been this asian man the entire time <laughs> and there's even like a family photo with randall park and and uh pam and the kids and um i think that's funny that and now people want uh john krasinski to be fantastic four so there have been a lot of jokes on twitter that maybe randall park should be <laughs> uh in fantastic four so uh, i i thought that was a good connection yeah comedies do it quite often uh i'd say other than office uh, one that i sticks out immediately was brooklyn 99 lives by that like they they do cold opens and it has nothing like you said nothing to do with the rest of the show but that's what their their staples are and then they kind of just break off and go to uh there are a few dramas that do it i feel like the biggest one that's gone on forever is the Law and Order franchise. They lived and died by a cold open. Uh, theirs actually does typically tie into what's happening with the rest of the show, but they live live and die about it. But the one that I I had to look at, I was like, all right, what is one of the best cold opens that I felt like didn't necessarily tie with the story, but it did do an overarching thing was um, Stranger Things, the very first, the pilot episode. That, op that opening cold open, it's like the scientist sprinting down that hallway and then just gets gobbled up and then we just like we try to forget about that for a little bit and we start focusing on the kids you're like hold on i'm still in this what the hell about that guy that's just gobbled up 
really similarly um, that I was going to bring up is the Game of Thrones pilot does the same thing um, where it's the Night Watch and they encounter um, whites and then um, and that is what happens because there are only four cold opens in the whole entirety of Game of Thrones um, and and the first episode has one of them and uh, but the best is I think it's season six when you find out the hound is still alive um yes. that's one of the four and that was pretty epic as well um because it had been a long time since we assumed he had died uh, but the stranger things that's such a good example it's so similar like if a good pilot cold open especially in horror can really set you down a cool path yeah well it's interesting when you look at them historically because they really didn't come around until like the 1960s when a lot of things like most of the shows we're talking about really seems like that's when we were doing it but it's funny that we bring up these dramas because in so many of them, they're not just like the thesis statement of the episode, but I think when you look at these back in the time where we were watching shows on cable TV and there was a change the channel and flip through and audience retention for a while was like, oh, well, we lost them in the middle when they switched over because the episode got boring or the commercials were too long. These were so much the hooks of the episode. So the office had to have like a big laugh to keep you there. So you bring up the cold open of Game of Thrones and how they don't have it in very often. And I feel like that was because they, at the top of Game of Thrones, they had to get you. And then so much of HBO is subscription-based and they sort of know if you're there, you're there. It's like the Olive Garden. When you're there, you're family. They're not yeah. going anywhere. But back when, like Netflix doesn't do a lot of cold opens. I think of BoJack Horseman and their other comedies that just kind of sometimes just kick off with the theme song and that you can just skip. And then when they mm -hmm. do have it, it is very poignant. And I feel like it's often the, the thesis of it where they kind of go, here's what we're going to explore. Here's a big joke to keep you around and go to the theme. It, it's almost the math of the show because it almost also feels like rewarding when you get to that theme song. Like there's a, there's a catharsis that yeah. comes from you as an audience member when you're like, oh, here it comes. They're building. Yeah. Um, it's also fun to see shows start to play with it. I, Bojack Horseman is another good example where they just start a joke and interrupt it to go to the theme song and then start the next scene in the middle of that sentence. Mm. So we start seeing it almost even being this weird punchline setup. What's interesting now that we were, we're thinking about and talking about is that like network TV seems to do the cold opens more, whereas the streaming stuff puts the tag at the end to keep you watching so they're like all right my hook now is at the end so you can next episode next episode next episode where they do the skip intro stuff but that i've never really thought about it that way but yeah most of the code opens are on 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 network stuff mm -hmm. oh yeah well you got to remember that if we that was back when especially when we were growing up and it wasn't just the same five channels it, it was a, a plethora of everything but i i hated family members that would switch and try to skip commercials by oh see what else is on we'll come back and i'm like no we're gonna miss my yeah. step into that it drove me crazy it's uh, like no yeah. my uh, my father-in-law is a channel switcher like if the commercial is on he's like well, let's go see another i'm like can you just stay here <laughs> what why why are we doing this <laughs> I but feel I like one um, one cold open I have to bring up um, is um, a Cheers cold open. Cheers also had very good cold opens, really good bits. Oftentimes they had really funny guest stars. Um, it was Cheers is a top tier cold open show, and in one of the very first episodes, an early episode. Um, one of the regulars comes in and says he's been working at like a biology lab and doing tests and stuff. And everyone at the bar is like, oh, it's cool, it's cool. And then as soon as he leaves, they all wipe everything down really frantically. And that for a while, it might still be on Netflix. Well, no, it's not on Netflix anymore. When it was on Netflix, that was like the the like little it thing that Cheers, they would play for Cheers to tease you into Cheers. Like and yeah. And last year, people assumed that that was new for COVID. Um, yeah. uh, but, but that's not true. It was always that, but the thing about it, that's so fascinating is that, that it's the only hold open they use twice at the end of the season, they brought it back and showed that footage again. Um, so I think that's actually why Netflix used it because it's the scene more than once, but I did enjoy Twitter kind of exploding like, Oh my God, Netflix is using cheers to make a COVID joke. And no, it was just always like that. It's, it's just not that deep sometimes. 
<laughs> as we're even finding with WandaVision, where we were like, oh, I wonder what it is. Oh, it's her. Got it. That it was it's like really, cool. Uh, cool. Yeah. Really got to it. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, I think one of my favorites is Parks and Rec when Ron Swanson pulls out his tooth. That's a great one. I, I can't think of a better example of a condensed, almost sketch style joke that was so outrageous and so crazy that it just kept you engaged the whole time. It almost is like a height that the episode itself never reaches. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's what a cold open does it the best. I like, but a lot of the shows that I really liked growing up too, like The Simpsons, I don't think ever had cold opens. I believe that the day just kicked off with the theme the, song the intro. Yeah. and let you go in. But same with like King of the Hill. I always liked the cold opens in Seinfeld because they always set up their joke throughout the whole thing. Because I feel like part of that show was so much a big laugh at the end. There was a payoff that called back to whatever it was. If it, that's how the show ends is the they end on the first joke they ever make with the button in prison. Right. Just like, is that the same button? It looks different than the other ones. And I think so much the things like the contest where they all, it's almost not even a joke, but we have to sit down and have this very real conversation that anyone would have about like, well, you're going to, you can't go as long as I can without, you know, doing that. We get a hilarious story about George's mom catching him in the act. We have a conversation about what you do and then you're off they almost do it as more of a building block for all the jokes that are going to go through without that cold open. You don't get George talking to his mom in the hospital about it. One of the best Estelle Costanza scenes. It's a shame you can't do that for a living. People would sell out stadiums to watch you. What a great episode. That's what we need the WandaVision Seinfeld episode to be. About masturbating. (laughs) <laughs> I think with Vision, it would be very interesting. Well, we did recently learn that Joss Whedon was obsessed with Vision's penis. When did we Wanted learn that? Oh, this was like a trending topic last week, um, where apparently uh, in Ultron, Whedon was like very adamant he really wanted to show Vision dick. And, um, and like, I think he made them like draw concept art for it or something. Uh, and in his defense, I have too wondered about what that looks like, but also we didn't need to see it. (laughs) I'll leave it to my imagination. I mean, I'm sure it would be great. They're not gonna give Vision a bad- The creation's not gonna get a bad one. No, I always always pictured the eggplant emoji. Right, he's not gonna get- Yeah, that makes sense. It's not going to be some like Renaissance dick where you're like, oh man, look how small that is. He's going to have, he's mighty. He's, and he can seemingly control it. I don't think there's any conversation about this. He just figures out what people need and he gives it to them. (laughs) Well, I I feel like um, since we're talking cold opens, we should maybe a quick inverse of that and how it's interesting that WandaVision isn't doing post-credit scenes um, because that's such a Marvel thing and it has been weird. And as an Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. fan, that was always so cool that they always had a button at the end of most episodes uh, because it was a Marvel staple. And I think it's interesting that they've chosen not to do that. Uh, but that's not really a sitcom thing. It's more it's it's more common to have something in the beginning than the end. So it makes sense for the genre, but it is a little jarring. I still it keep is, sitting through those credits waiting. I say it is jarring because you'll see on Twitter, especially those first two episodes, people were like, "I've sat through all of these credits, and I expected something to pop up because we've been so conditioned to like just stick around, just hang around. They're going to show me something." So and even Mandalorian did it with yeah. Disney Plus, so. That's so funny because I was not expecting anything in the credits post this. I I think I went in with this built-in idea that what Disney is going to want me to eventually do with this is press play like I've been conditioned to do on streaming and just have a never... And, and the story is not done. So I don't think I expected them to tease me anything until the very end. Then I'm I- sure there's one in the last episode. Yeah, I said the last episode is probably what I, yeah, I think when you think of this as what they're intending as, as one big film to split up into uh, nine different parts, then like, oh yeah, it doesn't make sense to put a post credit in the middle of four and five. <laughs> you know, at least these first three episodes of WandaVision and the fourth notwithstanding, the cold open was really used to introduce us to whatever world that we were seeing. And I think 
one, it is a very sitcom trope. It's part of the history, but it brings the audience into we're black and white. We're Dick Van Dyke. We're doing Bewitched. We're doing the Brady Bunch. Here's the situations that's going to be happening. And I think a, a, a post credit scene might have serviced the show by having you have a little bit more of the mystery at the end instead of just this like quick glitch and figure it out. But so much of the enjoyment of that show was those weird horror beats that I'm, I'm glad we kind of waited till now. Because this cold open, did we, we didn't even have a theme song for WandaVision this episode, did we? It just, mm-hmm. it just ran like a movie. Yeah, it just did um, the Marvel the Marvel Studio credit was the mm-hmm. was the thing. Which which is why we still counted as like a cold open because we we got the we the did have a there. Which was like because Endgame yeah. had the um was it was it the Hawkeye Hawkeye with his family. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the the MCU almost is developed like a television show. I feel like they do almost have cold opens. Like a part of me sometimes waits for like their intro brings us in especially when we started doing infinity war and endgame and some of these bigger ideas they would do a kind of like mini first act to kind of catch us up on what it was before they gave us a theme song we had been following as long as we followed something like game of thrones that Mm -hmm. had that same refreshing feeling i love seeing the logo and every time it's different i do the leo dicaprio pointing meme i'm like oh they added tony snapping (laughs) i i really love um kind of a little slightly off topic but when a film does like a late credit it's like oh this is going to be good and i think the most recent example is one night in miami it was like a good 15 20 minutes before the one night in miami yeah. popped up on screen i was like okay regina i'm ready i was just thinking that because on the rewatch because i re during all of this shutdown pandemic we rewatched the mcu and infinity war has a long time before yeah. that credit rolls because you have the entire thanos stuff on the ship on the ship and then we still go into dr strange's place before we get the credits and you're like whoa yeah i think my favorite cold open and then i'll move us on to kind of our next topic is has been recently and it shows you all the difference you can do with it the the way the way a cold open works for storytelling right which is just like kind of an exposition dump with a joke here's what the story is has been an episode of ap bio which if you're not watching ap bio you get on peacock right when you're done with this and you hit the subscribe button to be able to stay tuned for more news and updates on our show you go to Peacock and you watch AP Bio. I've only seen the first season and I have to catch up because I loved the first season and I hear it only gets better. It gets wacky in, episode, in season three. They do a whole episode where they do like a previously on AP Bio and then they'll do something and they do, they say previously on AP Bio like nine times to just keep adding like weird story beats. <laughs> so then when you actually get the cold open, it's in the middle of the episode and then they just do it with all of this exposition that they've had. But it almost feels like you catch up at a whole season. And it really shows you, I think, how you can now use this, how television stories use this as a storytelling device and how, therefore, WandaVision has been using it as part of their storytelling. They use the cold open to tell us where we are. They use the theme song to tell us where we are. And they make us find those little Easter eggs that everybody gobbles up so hard. And we get so much of that in the intro. But the other incredible part of this episode is having the audience in the episode. I cannot think of many other shows that have had a quite literal character be our eyes watching what we've been watching and reacting. And not only that, but having a like FBI style board asking the very questions that we've been asking when Jimmy Woo pulls out that board and well, why sitcoms? Why this? Why this? I was like, well, this is just what, yeah, this is what, you know, and which was part of my almost like half fun, half problem was like, yep, I get it. We're that's what I've been asking for three weeks. I, I understand <laughs> that the characters are here too. I would now like the answers and that I would like to go back to my original programming. I don't need you to stop and have you explain to me a cartoon style about nutrition like they did in the 80s all the time nancy reagan (laughs) (laughs) it it really worked for me because because i feel such a kinship to darcy and and the fact that she has is comes back and the first thing she does is get really invested in the television program wand and vision i i just felt so seen and i and it was so funny to just like her crying when the twins are born and it just felt so genuine and even though 
um, even though it, it didn't give us any answers, uh, it really, I, I felt like it was just a, it was a fun, it was a fun way to be represented. I think a, I'm not the only, even though like I feel very close to Darcy in the Thor movies as well. I think even if people don't see themselves as Darcy, they did in this episode. And I think that's kind of fun. You, you haven't really seen that before with Marvel. Yeah, you sort of take the the two two characters that we already sort of know, so there is already some type of connection, um, and they also aren't superheroes, they're just regular people, and you put them on the board to be like, alright guys, there are a bunch of you who don't quite understand what's happening right now, so this is the best way that we can go ahead and explain it, we'll show, it, show this through the eyes of them, and yeah, Darcy and Jimmy just having a ball, eating chips, uh jimmy going on his rant about wanting a kid and she's like no i i meant did you want a, a chip it's those type of moments are just feel so human like in a in a series that up until this point has been something completely different and i think that helps sort of bring in uh, uh some audience members that were not quite on board and marvel for so long has had such a respect for their audience and 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 understanding of that audience ike bromer notwithstanding he's gone now and it's fine um he did not understand his audience and he's gone but you know we've really seen them try to reach the widest audience possible and in doing that they have had to understand their product they have had to understand us and having avatars for us quite literally watching getting invested crying seeing all of these stories unfold is nourishing because in a very weird way like we know that they're paying attention to the way that we're reacting to what they put out in a way that no other studio and no other producer I feel like is ever doing. And it's such an important part of especially television that has to worry so much about audience retention. A way that a, a movie, when you buy a ticket to a movie to see it in a theater, you sit down, you watch it. If you watch half of it, Paramount still got your 20 bucks or 10 or eight however i don't know how it takes it yeah. uh, if we want to get nitpicky about it but you know they they won they don't care you buy a blu-ray you watch it you, i have a sealed copy of la la land on my dvd shelf that i'm probably never gonna watch yeah because it sucks lionsgate does not care that i have not watched that movie <laughs> yeah. they're uninterested in what i've done with it since then but television requires you to constantly be watching especially when it was broadcast when it was add revenue from commercials. We needed audience retention. We couldn't have you leaving in the middle. You had to watch that Pringles ad for Fox to renew The Simpsons. They didn't care. And now we see it on streaming services, right? Netflix sold, cancel a show after five seasons if it's not bringing in new subscribers. The, the narrative of what makes a successful television show has changed. That's why things like Glow die and we all yell and kick and scream and they they don't care. And I am- there they? I'll that's I'll never get over the glow cancellation. They already started filming it. I, I that hurts worse than I think any cancellation in the history of my life is that cancellation. It was just wrong. But when you bring up the um, I think it's so different now because Netflix like recently they announced that Bridgerton was like the most watched show in 28 days. But they calculate if someone only watches two minutes they they put that towards the overall right so it's a weird uh frame of success i could have i mean yes i did watch all of bridgerton but had i only watched the first two minutes um which maybe would have been better for my sanity because it never got gay john <laughs> make it gay in season two please for the love of god make it gay but that's not the point the point is it's it's a weird frame that they're that they're using with netflix but you guys i feel like you know more about this is more your area. So that brings us into how does a television network or a streaming service learn about its audience? And one of the longest parts of the industry that I feel like is, is more talked about now with Twitter and panels and there's more of a light. But when I was in film school with Jamie, they never talked about market research. I never was writing a script and they were like, hey, who is this for and who's your audience? They were like, right. be an artist which is the worst advice. <laughs> Our school is not very helpful in any way, shape, or form. Any current YouTube creator will tell you about knowing your audience, knowing what they want, and looking at the analytics that YouTube gives you. Television has been doing this for years, and Terrence and I have been doing it so long that we have forgotten why we came to LA with dreams in the first place. Correct. Uh, 
<laughs> Terrence, do you want to tell us a little bit about how market research for television works without getting us fired? Oh, uh, that's a bit but... dicey. Um, it's interesting for TV and streaming because there really isn't a barometer so much to check this. Like now they do go through testing for these. They do test pilots and they do test episodes where they'll have an entire like season binged. But I don't know if that's really the case for these type of films because there's, I mean, these type of shows, they're so high profile. There's no way that they're testing these type of things like that. But the normal feedback that they get is via social media for these. Like they don't really release numbers, which is, a, it pisses me off because now these are the mediums that people are watching stuff. The fact that like VOD gets released, I'd rather have the VOD numbers right now. I think you tweeted about this earlier, Blake. They're giving us numbers about how much little things made in the theaters. That's irrelevant right now because theaters aren't really open. Can you give me the VOD numbers? How many people purchase this? How many people are streaming this? And I want tangible numbers instead of just saying, well, this was the most talked about thing on Twitter this weekend. I can't really quantify that, well, but these streaming services do. You're getting into the difference, right, of qualitative and quantitative research, where for people who don't know, quantitative research is the quantity. If I have 12 people who tell me that a movie is good in a focus group, great, my movie is good. That's 12 people. They, they don't represent us. I think, I think all of us in this Zoom call right now can go, we are part of uh, certain groups and demographics. I don't represent every straight white male Terrence doesn't represent every African-American person and Jamie doesn't represent every woman. So it would be ridiculous to sit down and ask us what we all think about a movie and then go, we did it. We, we got them all. Movie for the whites. <laughs> uh, but what they do look at then are what they do, you know, they break down these demographies by ethnicity, by age, by gender, by everything you can imagine under the sun. And it's getting more nuanced as the demographics get more nuanced. Yeah, as so there, we, there ends up with sectors within each sector. Right. And then, you know, Terrence kind of talked about getting the numbers. That's how a movie does. We put a dial on, people watch something. We know when they tune out, when they're tuning in, you do a movie, you get numbers at the end, you put them into a graph. And then that, I think that's where I have to stop talking about it. I think so. Um, <laughs> you know, when we test it, uh, this is all just like, if you know, marketing, advertising and research, it's the same thing. It's just that there's more guardrails up in the entertainment industry. They've been doing this for so long, and sometimes they're right. You look at something like True Blood, which uh, did not do well, and the advice they got was to add the intro to the show. It's raining. I, be I believe it's like raining, and there's clouds, and there's a little bit of exposition and a voiceover. The showrunner was adamantly against this. This is They've talked about this in interviews. This is not me spilling NDAs. This has been discussed. Correct. They added this, and the show blows up. And to this day that showrunner has to swallow the pill of like, my artistic and direction told me no, but this told me yes. I had a marketing teacher who once told me that in entertainment, it's gotta be 51% creative, 49% business. And if that's not what Marvel is doing, I don't know who else is doing it because so much of their stuff is the same and yet different at the same time. Yeah. Ant-Man, Iron Man, Doctor Strange and Black Panther follow a very similar story arc journey. And yet I just described four different films. Correct. But especially Iron Man and Doctor Strange are almost the same narrative. It's almost art. a one to one. Um, yeah. And it's weird because I think that that's sort of the case with this. The WandaVision was the first time that they started doing something different out the gate. These first three episodes are very different and doing so alienated or confused a great deal of people. And so I feel like they always know. I think this is Jamie, you can kind of uh, test to this. They only sent the first three episodes out to folks because Yes. They knew that these are very different, that once we get to four, it's going to explain some things and be more for the, the quote-unquote casual Marvel fan. Hmm. I think, I, sorry, keep going. I think that this episode sort of does its best to act as sort of an equalizer. Like, there are us. We're the diehard Marvel fans. We know when we, we, we had theories and whatnot from one to three, and we're kind of like, all right, this is what it is. I know what we're doing. But there's the casual fans. Like, my wife's one of them who are like, I like this but I don't quite get what we're doing. Uh, or the people were like, I, this is boring. This is black and white stuff. I'm not, I'm checking out. This episode happens and they're kind of like, oh, got oh. it. Now I get it. And Marvel probably always had in their mind, like we're going to start off being weird and doing some weird stuff, but we will actually come back and bring those folks in. So that way from that, this point on, we can continue back doing the, the weird, wild stuff we want to do. You're nudging on one of the interesting things that also happens in research. When you look at a very well-documented show in the 90s, Seinfeld. Terrible test. It, it bombed. Nobody liked the pilot. 
They couldn't find an audience for it because the, the important part, and then I'll just tell the story. The important part of knowing your audience goes beyond just knowing where to put up a billboard. It becomes that retention. If I know what every different demographic is getting out of something, or if they feel represented correctly, or if they feel represented incorrectly, we can make creative decisions to make a show better and more important and be impactful to the community it is. I very much believe that stories are some of the most important things we have. And if you can't figure out who needs that story, we've now, we're at a point in the world, if a tree falls in the middle of the woods and the wrong audience is there to watch it fall or no audience is there to watch it fall, it just fell in the woods. Seinfeld did terrible. There was a, a, a uh, untitled nun comedy that tested at the same time about nuns in a convent that tested really, really well. Guess which one of those shows just sold for millions to Netflix. <laughs> but just because a show's success doesn't mean that the test got it wrong. No one talks about the Seinfeld pilot. We talk about the sponge, the contest, uh, Michael Richards' post being problematic, but we don't bring up the test often. And Terrence, when you bring up WandaVision and the, these first three episodes, I think Marvel knew that if we had tested a focus group of just black and white WandaVision, you probably would not have gone to series. This is the right. episode that makes you go to series and streaming and network television are different animals. We kind of know, you can probably hold on to the Marvel audience for three episodes of experimentation before you got to give them the sauce. This is them knowing their audience well and also knowing their product and trusting it. It's a very rare combination, I think, that WandaVision has of them going, just stay with us, guys. We've earned your trust. And us going, okay, right. you have, let's see. And you have Kevin actually releasing statements saying like, guys, we we've earned this stick with us for a little bit we'll get you episode four i trust you will you will get this and that's where we stand now from the journalist side it's interesting because when the mandalorian they did not send any screeners no nobody knew what was coming and and for wandavision only sending the first three i having now watched the fourth i totally get why they did it that way because it wasn't the fourth doesn't necessarily have any spoilers that like huge excuse me, I think at most it was exciting for us to all in real time see uh, Monica come back from the blip. But I told, but like, it's also interesting because there were some, uh, mostly got positive reviews, but but it wasn't necessarily for everyone. And it, I think it was a, a bit of an interesting choice to, to just stick with the first three. Whereas, but at the same time, they knew they didn't have to send episode four because that's just Marvel. All right, right. Like that's that's more of the bread and butter traditional MCU. This is what you you know us. If the, if you're if you've been with us for these twenty some odd films, we got you with this. And it's interesting. Um, this my family member Margie. Margie's probably listening. Hi, Margie. Um, she is uh, loves the movies, but it doesn't necessarily like read up on all the behind the scenes stuff. So she actually did not know that Geraldine was Monica. And same with my wife. But that was to, like, right, yeah. and that but that was exciting. She it, she texted me the next day, and she goes, "Oh my God, Geraldine was Lieutenant Trouble. That was so cool!" Like she saw it as a um, as a as a as a twist, as a surprise, and I was like kind of jealous that because I think that would have been a really cool um, uh, surprise. But we it, but we knew it already. It's a very fascinating thing, and that's why I like doing this. Us, we're all Marvel geeks. We can kind of like, all right, we can see the edges. We, like, we know where it's going. But watching this with my wife, who loves these movies, loves the MCU, but is not a Marvel head at all. Everything is brand new to her. And it's great seeing through her eyes, watching some of this stuff. You're like, oh yeah, that's, that would be pretty damn badass if I had not known that. That's a pretty cool thing to learn. This show has really shown me the uh, changing tides in fandom and audience retention and audiences in general, because so much of the stuff is known because I think one, we've been hungry for content in the pandemic. So if somebody puts out an article that is like, here's what WandaVision is, I am going to eat it like it'll nourish me. But there is also something about the people who don't follow everything religiously and they don't, they don't know. I had so many people after Infinity War who were like, well, what, what's going to happen? They just snapped away Black Panther. Like what, what? And I was like, well, you know, obviously the comic books exist. And you almost get envious of this where you're mm -hmm. like, this is how we all used to be before the internet and before entertainment journalism was, uh, I don't even know how to say it, less gossipy and more less like, we have an interview, we asked Kevin and he told us what episode four, five and six are where we're gonna get all the answers. And then I can go, cool. 
it almost makes you jealous of the week to week approach where who shot Mr. Burns was the biggest thing when yeah. I was a kid, right? Where it's like, yeah, like did it. Like seeing seeing a kid come out of Infinity War wearing a Spider-Man outfit, bawling. Oh. And I was just like, oh, I, I don't, I'm not going to spoil anything for you, kid, but it's going to be okay. But I love that through, I would love to have been that kid coming out with my Black Panther outfit, like, oh my God, they took Black Panther. Like, it's just a world that we don't, we, we've had so much, given to us or we've, we've searched for so much knowledge that we don't live in the world where we're like oh yeah that well, that innocence is still there i love so my job and i'm so glad i i have my job but it's like because of it i have to know a lot of stuff and it it, it is a totally different perspective from the mcu even five six years ago where i i didn't have to know it for work and and things were more of a surprise but i can't i can't even tell you which way i preferred but it is a totally different it's just different like i don't like one or more than the other but it's yeah. different and i can there is a certain earnestness and honesty that comes in when you're just going in like blind you still like it but you're going in kind of blind well and it shows you some of the impatience i think we're starting to get as audience members we're either used to a show dumping everything right away and we can burn through it in a weekend and now so much of Twitter was just like, well, I want to know this. I've got to know this. And I want to know this. And it didn't even feel fun. The speculation with WandaVision never felt fun to me. It felt pushy. I never like when the Mandalorian was being speculative and we didn't know who was the Jedi that they were reaching out to and what could this breadcrumb be and where could we go in the universe and what was that Snoke clone about and or if it was a Snoke clone and that always felt very much more of a, of a wonderment of like, well, where can we go and what do we know? Where with this felt so much to me, like everybody was just going, well, what is it? I want to know what it is. Hurry up and tell me what it is. Right. I like, when know does what this get is. good? Like, I want to know now because this isn't like, I want to know now so I can get to this point. It's crazy because it is good. Like I, I, I'm, I, yes. you know, people, I, I, even I at first was like, oh, I kind of wish this was all at once because I'm so curious, but that's impatience. I mean, uh, we're, we're a sitcom TV podcast discussion and literally if they didn't do it week to week, it wouldn't be uh, the right homage to this genre. Right. It is literally, it, it would be a disservice to television and the point of this whole show if they dropped it at once a part of what these old sitcoms were were also being water cooler talk like you would go home and you would go to the office and be like oh did you see that episode last night yeah that was crazy and you just start you spark a discussion that is a part of also what this is um i just think people have been so conditioned with dumping everything and binging that they're now kind of like i need it all at once and now when they're being forced to kind of do something differently in addition to a, something that is also unique it's just like frying their brain cells <laughs> and i think that's good that we have these arbiters of the audience in the show now to it, it's almost a release for us and they have to wait they're like in doing a case there is no getting ahead of it there is nothing like that so almost having them be forced for the sake of both narrative and like realism in the air quotes because it's a comic book show um i think helps aids us a little bit in that but it's interesting when you think about the audience and the history of the audience. Cause I, I even think about the Seinfeld pilot again, where Elaine was barely in it, which becomes a joke in season four when they're writing a pilot that test gave us Elaine. So if they're like, that, that was what the voice that the audience has said was missing. So it's interesting when you then look at this show and you go, well, there was clearly something missing in the pilot. They made us wait and we're all going to be better for it because they, they get it. They understand it. But the other thing this episode gave us was all the exposition, which is kind of the last thing that we're going to talk about in this episode is the expository episodes of TV and when they can hinder and when they can hurt. So, Jamie, tell us a little bit about exposition in shows and, <laughs> and what it means. I'm sure everybody knows what it means. I saved the obvious one for the end, but explain <laughs> to us as the show had to explain <laughs> It's a meta joke. Uh, I mean, obviously, you know, uh, exposition, what comes before, how it all comes together. And in, in, this, in this case, in the case of WandaVision, it's exposition meets a new perspective. I mean, um, I, think the, I think the best example, and I have three examples I want to talk about, but I think the best comparison is in Lost when we see the tailies. 
um, when we learn that the back half of the plane um, has their own thing going on on the island, yeah. how different it is. I think that's very similar. Um, and uh, and to to see, I think, in specifically Wandavision, how we've learned, uh, you know, we saw how Monica became Geraldine. We got there, and that is, it's not something that shows do all the time. And I think that often, it, you know, going back with expository, usually I, things are pretty linear in most shows, but there are some examples. And I think a lot, it's mostly flashbacks that we see. And this episode wasn't a flashback because we realized that the first three episodes are all really happening in the same day. Happening in real um, time. Right. By the time Monica comes back from Westview, it's only, she's only been gone a day, even right. though it feels like forever. And, and that's, and that's why it doesn't, I wouldn't call it a flashback. I would, I would really say it's just a new perspective. And I, I really enjoyed that. Um, and I, and again, I really think the best example is lost. Um, but I do, but I do want to talk about a couple other ones, but I, but I'll, but I'll refer back to you guys before I get into those examples. Yeah. I love the concept of we start at the beginning of where we started in episode one and by the end of this this one episode we're kind of like have caught back up to where we are uh that's a big trope in a lot of like sci-fi or sci-fi action shows um heroes lived and died like that that was their fuck that was their thing that's what the hell they did um they were like i'm gonna give you one perspective and then i'm gonna go back and show you three different versions of how we get to this spot via another character um and that was the bread and flash forward was an entire show that that entire basis was on like we're going to put this prime event happens and then we're going to come each episode and come back to that point uh over and over and over again. it was they such a good show so short-lived but it was so good that, yeah that really deserved to live it did it did i love that show um but as soon as when i thought about the expert that type of stuff flash forward was definitely the one that i was like oh yeah that show lived am, by that this is a weird tangent but am i right in remembering wasn't was it John Cho and Gabrielle Union together in that? Is that was John that? Cho was definitely in Flash Forward. I uh, don't know if Gabby is, but John Cho was oh, definitely one of the I need to look this that. up. Because I, I'm, I'm, I think I'm only thinking it was her because they just announced that it was her. It's going to be her and Zach Braff and the cheaper by the dozen. Yeah. Um, yeah. And P, and I saw a bunch of tweets that it shouldn't be Zach Braff. It should be John Cho. They would have better chemistry. And maybe I'm just like remembering wrong because of that tweet. But I agree that Zach Braff and Gabrielle Union are a weird choice yeah, they're doing a uh, they're doing a trope that i don't like and uh no offense to zach braff because i like scrubs and i like a lot of his work but uh, we, we gotta start putting together couples that when i look at them i'm like how did you know yes gabby is on that show too how did you yeah i that? think so i think they were married and i think that he was one of the people that didn't have a flashback because he died or something that show was like Correct. so long ago but um but yeah. it's but i'm so glad you brought it up because it reminded me i literally saw a tweet that they should be a couple and you just reminded me that they have played a couple before um absolute tangent blake feel free <laughs> to cut that out of this podcast oh it's gonna stay <laughs> we got great on the power rangers rant so it's staying um, shout out to my friend nick if you're listening for really pushing for us to start that power rangers podcast i will uh do anything uh, once or twice <laughs> i haven't read the boom comics i hear they're great I see a lot of action figures from it, from the Power Rangers Lightning Collection that I collect. And uh, I wish I read them so I had an excuse to buy them because I don't buy toys that I don't have a connection to because otherwise the hobby would go insane. Yeah. But let me tell you, that Ranger Hunter with a bow and arrow with three arrows almost got my 20 bucks. <laughs> All right, Terrence, I go back to Flash Forward. But Flash Forward and Heroes are the two that I, I just sit by. I mean, Heroes' entire concept. Now, the thing, I think the difference here is that we didn't know we were going back, where Heroes starts like, this is the point, this is where we're going to get to, and now we're just going to spend the rest of this entire season getting there. Um, we don't know that here. It's a bit of an inverted way of doing it, but I think it basically is accomplishing the exact same thing. It's interesting because this show gives us such a good example of exposition done well. There's a lot of just information dumping, but it's as Jamie said, through new eyes, through a new perspective, we get all of the information in a fun, well-shot, well-produced way. When oftentimes, it, it, I think of old villain monologues. 
that are just the the exposition for the whole show where somebody eventually stands up and is like if you didn't know what my plan was here it is you got great ultron line you got five minutes here we go that's one of my favorite lines from age of ultron is when ultron is like i was gonna take my time to tell you my evil plan um very uh very incredibles you got me monologuing like there's i think of uh the saw movies when i think about bad exposition that i still drink like a milkshake i still suck it up all the time they have a great theme song and if you're gonna do exposition you gotta give me a dope song and montage. you got me with the music and i'm sold tell me more about this when exposition is on the nose and it's static and it's because it is important to a story. I feel like what happens to a lot of sci-fi shows that get canceled or don't make it are that we go, well, it's just so confusing. Like I kind of need somebody to stand up and explain the rules of the world, even in superhero movies, even in Marvel. You know, we, we needed exposition in Ant-Man to be like, here's how the Ant-Man suit works, what it does, where we are, what we're doing, go. I think a lot of times of the Marvel movies, they do it up top in the origin. We get most of it there and then we go. We got it in Infinity War when Doctor Strange had to just show us all the stones and go, here's what they are, here's what they do, here's what happens if we get it. You now know the stakes. Now enjoy the flashing action for the next two hours. <laughs> got it. Yeah. Uh, and so often shows do it poorly. And when they dedicate a whole episode to it, I get frustrated. I think of some later heroes seasons that just have to have Peter Petrelli's mom sit down and be like, well, you know, Peter, we used to be part of a sort of like an X-Men type team. Secret organization that this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy you have not met yet. We are all in this together. Checking the watch. (laughs) That is like a bad retcon at that point. I I do want to bring up my top three favorite shows of all time. All have really good examples. And I'd love to talk about them. All you. So I'll first start with uh, my two favorite shows of all time are Buffy and Angel. And um, and it was a cool, they didn't do a lot of, they did some crossovers um, throughout their times airing at the same time. But one of the coolest was season five of Buffy and I think season two of Angel. It was, um, the episodes were, Buffy episode was Fool for Love and the Angel episode was Darla. And they aired back to back that night. And um, we see the Fool for Love episode on Buffy, which is kind of a history of Spike, who's my favorite character. Spike's amazing. I uh, love him so much. Um, and we kind of see like how how Drusilla sired him and how he killed his his first slayer and his second slayer, um, uh, which is all very fascinating. Um, but then, and in that episode, in that flashback, we see Angel doing his angelus business but then uh and this is all a flashback all a lot of learning past stuff but then when we watch the angel episode darla they're showing those same flashbacks from a different perspective and we learn that angel at that point had actually already gotten his soul back and and when angel uh first got his soul back it was obviously very traumatic and he was trying to bury it down and still be his evil vampire self and we see that there are moments from the Buffy episode where you think Angel's kind of like being gross and evil where he really has a soul and is actually trying to get them to like not do those evil things. And, and I love that example. Um, I think one of my favorite things to do is to watch Buffy and Angel in, in air date order. So watch the first three seasons of Buffy and then when season four starts in one, you go back and forth and finish shows together, which is perfect because then you can watch Angel season five on its own and Angel season five is my favorite season of television. But that's the first example. And I think it's a really cool perspective side. And the other example, my other favorite show that has to be talked about because we're, is Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And it has to be. It has, <laughs> we have to talk about yes. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yes, yes. And one of, I would, I would say the second best episode of the entire series is the season three episode, 4,722 hours, where we see what happened to Gemma when she was sucked into this planet Mavis. She's alone on the planet Mavis. And um, I love that episode. It is top tier television that episode, and so we we see we all we at this point in Agents of Shield she's already been rescued, 
So she's fine, but we finally see what happened to her. I'm I'm literally getting goosebumps. Right, because we we she's already back on the on current timeline, but we don't really know what happened to her. And then we do the that mm-hmm. recap episode, and you're like, oh crap. And not only is it amazingly written and beautifully acted by Elizabeth Henstridge, but it gives it gives such new context to what happened. And we even finally see when Fitz comes and saves her and everything. Um, it, it's such a cool way to see what happened and we learn that she wants to go back because she had a lover on that planet who she wants to save and that's amazing because of uh, you know a big Fitzsimmons shipper right you're you're shipping them but then you're like well you were on that you were out there for a long time and didn't Mm -hmm. think anything else was happening yeah I would have banged the hot astronaut too (laughs) (laughs) right and uh, and and I also would um I I would like to play I'm wearing an astro ambassador shirt um, please follow my friend Alex uh, Framework Fits on Twitter because she has really cool Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. merch. And this is a cool full circle because um, we, we, we know that Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. wanted to use S.W.O.R.D. and they weren't allowed to. And we now know it's because WandaVision is using it. And yeah. Astro Ambassadors was kind of a joke in the series finale because it's like very clear some of the characters are now sword, but they're not allowed to say it. We can't, we can't state that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that's why like I'm there are so many shield connections in WandaVision. Like almost every episode, with the exception of the first episode, have had moments that feel Agents of Shield. And since Agents of Shield is in my top three favorite shows, um, I'm I'm just like really waiting. But yeah. another example thing, I really rambled on about these three shows because you can't, you can't, we can't have a TV podcast without me talking about Buffy Angel and Agents of Shield. And Agents of Shield. It's fascinating though, because I really do think the the, the big point, like you said, is the reversal of, of, of seeing it from a different angle or even seeing a scene differently or like seeing the end of this episode when, uh, Wanda, we get to see the full scene of Wanda and Geraldine, and you're like, oh, oh, she lost, she was, got it. <laughs> Don't piss this woman off. She went full on, like, not today, not, you got to get the hell out of here. And I love seeing that. Like, I, I love seeing that. And I love, we still get a bit of a hint that the general audience, and this is why they're seeing it almost the same way that we did, that was scrubbed from their, their, their viewing of it. And I was like, oh, crap, we're still on the same page as them. But there's a lot more happening that Wanda's like, nah. Yeah, we're seeing the importance of exposition and audience retention this week, I think, because it wasn't my favorite episode of the show. It's a lot of people's favorite episode of the show, to which I go, well, then you don't get, no, it doesn't matter. Uh, you like what you like. I'm not, here to, I'm not here to be upset about that. But we're seeing how important it is to eventually tell people what's going on in your show. If you can present it, in an entertaining and engaging way. We're, we're seeing a lot of people that were almost on the cusp of dropping off suddenly going, I'm here, top five shows, let's do it. Like pump it into my veins. So it's it's interesting to see all at the same time how this show has benefited, not just from the history of TV, but the tropes in it. The importance of knowing your audience and doing your research. Marvel is a company that does not work with Terrence and I as a research company, but I assure you, they're figuring out that audience. Kevin knows it better than any producer out there. They've understood it for at least a decade. They've, they've known exactly what makes a character work, why a story in the comics connected with an audience and how to bring that to life. So I think they also knew that this was the beat to give us the exposition. So we've seen the importance of those two things combined give us an episode that has retained this audience before they have clicked away. And if you haven't clicked away from our show, now is a great time to hit the subscribe button and stick around for more. Leave us a comment in the comment section. Let us know how we're doing. Let us know to keep these rants in or out. You know, I think they're great. Um, <laughs> obviously, I have a Power Rangers hat on. We can do this. Uh, we'll just subvert it. But you should also then go and follow the show on Twitter at Hollywood ADI, on Instagram at Hollywood already did it. I, of course, am at, as always, Blake. Terrence is at Terrence Tatum, and Jamie is at Jamie Cinematics. You can listen to Terrence and I's other podcast. You can't do that anymore, where we take movies that have not aged well or with grace or just don't work with audiences nowadays. A lot of good stuff going on there. 16 Candles is about to come out, and let me tell you, you can't do that one anymore. No. (laughs) Uh, But important for audiences and the industry, because now we have things like Spider-Man Homecoming, 
a lot of mixed bags. You can, of course, listen to all the old episodes of Hollywood Already Did It and more trailer reactions and whatnot on our channel. I, of course, do another podcast, How Do You Figure, about action figure and toy collecting. Go listen to that. Certainly Jamie's Power Rangers friend should go listen to the Power Rangers episode of it because it is, I think, one of the best recorded podcasts I have done of any show. Jamie, of course, works at comicbook.com and you can read her wonderful articles and take her quizzes on BuzzFeed. And I believe that that is it. That sounds good to me. Right. Indeed.